You're listening to the Highland Ministry Podcast. Today, Pastor Mike Wiggins continues the series, Christ Alone, a study through the book of Colossians. Now, Pastor Mike Wiggins. Thank you so much. Take your Bibles this morning, and we're going to turn to a very special passage of Scripture in Colossians chapter 1. And we come to <clears throat> one of the, what is one of the most holy, one of the holiest places, I should say, in, in the Scriptures. When we look at verses 15 through 20, and we learn about who Jesus is. And this is such an important passage of Scripture. It's one that we really need to get hold of and understand. Uh, this is a little bit of a deep dive this morning as we are in this uh, series, Christ Alone, going through Colossians, and we're going to talk today about the preeminence of, of Christ. And, you know, I have, uh, I've heard, you know, people say that uh, we need to be very, you know, we need to be super, super, super simple in our preaching, and I believe that in our teaching. And, and sometimes they, they've said, well, you, we need to be careful that we don't get so deep into theology, you know, and, and to Christology and all of that, because sometimes that folks get a little bit lost in that. But let me tell you something, folks. We've got to have our theology right. We've got to have our Christology right. We've got to understand who Jesus is. That's so important. And so even though this is a little bit of a deep dive this morning, I, I do want you to just follow along as we look at God's Word together. Begin reading there, if you will, in verse 15. He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself all to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Now we know that Epaphras, one that Paul had won to Christ in Ephesus, was there in that church in Colossae. And um, he came and gave a report of, the, of this church, of this church's love for the Lord Jesus Christ. But there was also in that report some disturbing news, and we've talked about that. That is, there were false teachers that had come in, and they were promoting error. And the error that they were promoting was error about, uh, error about the uh, person of Christ. And what they were saying is they were preaching Christ as prominent, but they were not preaching him as preeminent. And there's a whole lot of difference. You see, a lot of times in our culture, in our world today, we have a lot of people who want to give Jesus a place of prominence. But he is not just prominent, he is preeminent. He is over all things, right? Uh, he, he is what we're about here this morning. Uh, we are a Jesus church, and we're here worshiping Him. 
Uh, these false teachers were saying that Jesus was one of the angelic emanations from God. And in, in, in the process, these false teachers were ultimately denying the fact uh, that Jesus was deity. And they were denying the humanity of Jesus. Uh, you see, we know that Jesus was God and man. He was as much God as he was man, as much man as he was God, right? He's God-man. And so you see, when this era was being preached and taught about the person of Christ, it opened the door about a confusion about the gospel and about the church and about the Christian life. And various isms infiltrated the church. Now, none of these uh, false teachings were promoted as a rival to Christ. Now, I want you to hear this. They were not promoting them as a rival to Christ. They were presenting them alongside of Christ. As if Jesus needed some help. As if Jesus wasn't enough. And so when Paul received this report, he was moved to write this letter to a church he had never been to, a church he had never visited, but to write and to exalt the preeminence and the sufficiency of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the reason why I would call this series Christ Alone. That's all we need. You, you see, Colossians is what we would call, it's polemical. What that means is, it is a, it is a, refuta a refutation of, of, of opinions and principles. In fact, it is an aggressive refuting. But Paul doesn't begin by refuting the error. He begins with a declaration of the truth. I know there are times when we need to point out error, folks. But one of the things that we can do that deals with error best is always tell the truth about who Jesus is. And so he starts with the truth. And this text it is one of the most important statements about Christ in the New Testament. In fact, scholars tell us that this was probably sung as a hymn in the early church. Now, H.B. Uh, Charles says if this text does not derive from the worship of the church, it should result in the worship of the church. It should result. I mean, when we understand what this text is telling us about who Jesus is, it ought to call us to worshiping him, right? So Paul declares and he defends what is the most essential truth of our historic Christian faith. And that is Christianity is Christ. And Christ is God. Now, if you don't hear anything else I say today, Christianity is Christ and Christ is God. And so Paul <clears throat> gives two reasons why we should live, why we should minister, why we should witness with confidence in the preeminence of Christ. And that's what we're going to look at today. Look at today. And you look in your bulletin there and you got two points and you say, well, we'll be out of here in just a couple of minutes. Well, that's not true. They're rather long points. But anyway, I'm not, I, won't, I won't spend too much time, but it's, it's important what we're going to say today. First thing is this. I want you to notice what he says here. Jesus is preeminent over all creation. Now, 
He says here, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the image of the invisible God. So here's what Paul does. First of all, he proclaims what scripture teaches us, what we know about God the Father, and that is God is invisible. We can't see God, can we? No man has ever seen God. In fact, John 4, 24 says God is spirit. In 1 Timothy 1, 17, Paul calls God the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God. In 1 John 4, 12, the scripture says no man has ever seen God. Now, we know that in the scriptures, in fact, in the, in the Old Testament, there are some 40 instances of what we call theophanies. Now, a, a theophany is, a, is an appearance of God, of an appearance of Christ. Let me just tell you about one that you'd know about. You know, when the, the three men were thrown into the fiery furnace, they looked in there and there was four, right? That was an appearance. That was, a, that was a, an appearance of God. That was an appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe with all of my heart. That was Jesus in that furnace with those three. And so we have that appearance, but those were not permanent. Uh, the, uh, those were not enduring presence. So he, he, he affirms that God is invisible, but then he says here, Paul affirms that Christ is the image of God. Now, the image translated here, it translates a, a Greek term that you're familiar with. It, in the computer world today, what do we have on our screen? We have icons, right? That's the word. That's the word that is used here. It is a representation, a manifestation of a thing. And so Exodus 24 says, you shall not make for yourselves a carved image, icon, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Yet Genesis 1, 27 says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So that says that we are Created in the image of God. What does that mean? That means that we are, we are uh, rational beings. We have intellect. We, we have emotion. We have will. I know some of you love your dogs. And you love your cats. You might even let them lick you in the face. Just don't let me see it. Right? Because I don't like that. But anyway, I know you might love your dogs and you might love your cats, but they are not created in the image of God. They don't have an intellect. They don't have uh, what we have. They don't have emotion. They don't have volition. They can't will to do this or will to do that. But we can. You see, we are created in the image of God. But we do not bear God's image Essentially, Now, what do I mean by that? that? That means we don't have his attributes. We are not immutable. We, are, we, we change all the time, don't we? Uh, we are not omniscient. We don't know everything. Now, well, sometimes we, we think we do, or sometimes we meet people who think they do, but, but we are not omniscient. We don't know everything. We're not omnipotent. We're not all-powerful. We see that all the time. We're not omnipresent. We can only be here right now. We can't be here and somewhere else at the same time. And we do not bear his image morally. He's holy and we're not. 
Romans 3.23 is the, the verse that says, For all have sinned and come short of the, glory of, of the glory of God. But I want you to know there is one person, there is one person who bears God's image essentially and morally. He says in Colossians 1.15, He, that is Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God. What does that mean? That means he represents God. That means he represents him. John 1, 18 says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is the, on, at the Father's side. He has made him known. Boy, I love that word, made him known. Uh, we, we do it all the time. When you're studying the Bible, you are what we, what we were taught to do in school and, and, the, and seminary. We were taught to exegete the Bible. That means, to, that means to draw out. That's what it means, to pull out of. And so you see here what he's telling us. It means to, that, that when God, uh, John used it here to declare that Jesus is the exegesis of God. That is, to see what God is truly like, just look at Jesus. That's what he says. And Hebrews 1.3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprints, imprint rather, of His nature. That is, Jesus manifests God. You know, at the Last Supper, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and it'll be enough for us. You know, I, I, I don't know how Jesus really, how, what His body language was like when He heard that, but it's like... It's like Philip is asking an elementary question on his graduation day. And, and so what does he say to him? He says in John 14, 9, he says, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? He said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know, you ever heard somebody say that somebody is a, you see a, a, a young man and you say, well, he's the spitting image of his father. But you can never say when you've seen him, you've seen his father. Can you? Because he's not the father. He, he's not the father. Jesus claims more than a resemblance with God. Hear this now. Hear this because this is vital to who we are. If you're a Christian, you, you got to believe this, and that is he declares himself to be God in the flesh. If you deny the deity of Jesus Christ, then there's no way you can know him. Because that's who God is. That's who God has revealed himself in that way. Warren Wiersbe says, nature reveals the existence, power, and wisdom of God, but nature cannot reveal the very essence of God to us. It is only in Jesus Christ that the invisible God is revealed perfectly. He is the image of the invisible God. He says he is the firstborn of creation. Now, I don't know if you got some Jehovah Witness friends, but they would look at that and they say, that just tells you right there, Jesus was created, right? They said, doesn't it say that? He's the firstborn of all creation. But you see, Paul is not saying that Christ is a created being. That would violate the whole context of what he's saying here. When he says that the word firstborn, it does not mean first in order. 
in, in that sense, you know, the, the firstborn of creation would be Cain, right? Firstborn here is used in the, in the, uh, uh, to speak of rank. He is first, like the firstborn son of a family. He's first in order, in rank, rather. You see, when, when Paul calls Jesus the firstborn of all creation. He's not claiming that Jesus is, is, the, is the first thing that uh, one that was created. He declares that Jesus is Lord over all creation. That Jesus is the creator and the sustainer of all things. You see, Jesus is the creator of this world. He is the creator of this world. In Colossians 1.16, he says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And there we see the relation of Jesus to his creation. That is, Jesus calls creation. Notice what he says. For by him all things were created. Who made this world? Who created this universe? Who is the one who flung the stars into space? Who is the one who created you and created me? Everything that has been made was stamped, made by Jesus. He is the origin, originator, he's the architect, and he's the builder of all things. Jesus created the physical world. And this is what Paul means when he refers to that which is on earth and visible. Just, just look around. Everything is made by him, and everything should praise him. Glory should be an attribute uh, that to, to him, attributed rather, to him. Uh, not to a, a series of angelic emanations uh, 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 to uh, some impersonal uh, mother nature or some atheist, atheistic principle of evolution or something like that. He's the one who created it. And Jesus also created the spirit world. And that is what Paul says in heaven and uh, the invisible. Paul lists the categories there. He says thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities. You see, all of these refer to spirit beings in the unseen world. And that Christ created all of them. Remember who Paul is writing here. He is writing and he is refuting these false teachers who, who claim that Jesus is just a creation of God. He is just an emanation, an angelic emanation created down the line from God. Paul claimed that Jesus created the angels, didn't he? He created the angels. E even the evil angels that aligned themselves with Satan are under the sovereign authority of Christ. We don't have to be afraid of Satan. We need to understand who he is. We need to understand how he works. We need to respect the fact that we can fall victim to him and his demons. But we do not have to be afraid of him because we have Christ in us. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, right? And Paul says also that he's the manager of creation. All things created were created through him. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He managed it. He says here, Jesus is the purpose of creation. All things were created through him and for him. 
the created order exists for Christ. You see, we exist here to honor and glorify our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and there's a lot of people in this world today that say, oh, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. You folks are, you folks are exclusive in what you believe, and you, you eliminate people, and you're narrow-minded, and all of that. I want you to listen to what this verse, these verses say in Philippians 2, 9 through 11. It says, therefore, God has highly exalted him, that is Jesus, and bestowed on Jesus the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Lord God the Father, right? There's coming a day when everybody's going to say he's Lord. He's Lord. You remember that old, that old oil filter commercial where the guy said, you can pay me now. You, you can change your oil and change your filter. You can do it now. You can pay me now or you can pay me later. You, you can change the oil and you can change the oil filter or you'll change the engine out, right? Well, you're going to, listen, everybody's one day going to bow their knee to Jesus. Everybody. Kings and queens, presidents and ambassadors and prime ministers and everybody. The rich and the poor are going to bow their knee to Jesus. Jesus is also the sustainer of the world. He says in verse 17 there, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Oh, listen, folks. He is the one who holds it all together. He's the glue. You know what to hold a church together? Just focus on Jesus. That's all you got to do. You know what to tear a church apart? Get your focus on yourself. Get your focus on yourself. My opinion, how I feel, this is what I want, what I want, what she wants, he wants, or so You want to tear one apart? You can do that in a heartbeat. But if you want to draw it together, you draw it together. Jesus is the one that holds church together. Jesus is the one that holds this world together. I believe with all of my heart, if it were not for Jesus, everything would just fall apart. It would just fall apart. And some people say it is, but folks, we ain't seen nothing yet. And Jesus, listen, when, when Jesus said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, when, when the Scripture says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, uh, you know, the unbelieving Jews wanted to know how this man, who is barely 30 years old, could speak of himself, so in, could speak so intimately about Abraham, who died centuries before. You know, in John chapter 8 and verse 58, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Uh, listen, folks, it's not atheistic evolution. It's not some big bang theory. Because atheistic evolution and the Big Bang Theory don't need a creator. You see, if, if matter is made up of space, who holds it all together? Scientists have struggled to answer that question, but there is an answer. And it is found in verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus created this world. And he does not let it run on its own. He's right here involved in our lives. He's a creator. 
and he's the sustainer. And that is, if he's not, listen, why is, that, why is it that the world is a cosmos and not a chaos? And why is it that the earth remains close enough to the sun that we don't freeze, but far enough from the sun that we don't burn up? And it stays there. Why is it that the sun keeps rising in the east and going down in the west? Why is it that there's winter and spring and summer and fall? They continue to pass season after season. Why is it that uh, flowers keep budding and blooming and, and fading and falling? The reason is Jesus is holding it all together. He's the creator. But then let, let me move to this real quickly here. Jesus is preeminent over the church. He is preeminent over creation. He's preeminent over the church. It says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the first, firstborn from the dead. And in, he, in everything, he might be preeminent. And this verse gives really three titles to Christ. It says he is the head of the body, the church. The New Testament does not define the church as much as it de describes the church. You see, we, we don't have a definition of the church in the Bible. We have, a, we have a description of it. We see what it is. And he describes it as an army. He describes it as a, as a bride, as a flock, as a family, as a temple. But the primary metaphor for the church is a body. And, the, and the, the picture of a body teaches us that we are, as the church, part of a living organism, not an organization. You see, it, a lot of people just think of the church as an organization. And, and sometimes, listen, we can get a church running like a smooth machine, you know, just functioning so well. But a church is not an organization. A church is an organism. It is, it is living and breathing. And because of that, it has a head, right? You see, anything that doesn't have a head is dead, right? You ever heard anybody say he, they'd run around like a chicken with their head cut off? I never did that. I, never, I, I, I lived close to some people that did that with their chickens and stuff, took their heads off, but I never saw it happen. Some of you may have, where they took a head off and the chicken just kept running around. You've probably seen it. Well, I've seen churches like that. It's running around like a chicken with a head cut off. I mean, you see, listen, I want you to know here what he's saying here is that, that anything, you know, that he is the head of the church, anything without a head is dead, and anything with more than one head is a monster. He's the only head. He's the boss. He's the beginning. Revelation 22, 13, so Jesus declares, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. You see, this is the second time that Paul calls Christ the firstborn. He called him the firstborn of creation. Now he says he's the firstborn of the dead. But you see, Jesus was not the first person to rise from the dead. Jesus himself raised people from the dead, didn't he? There were people who were raised. Those were not resurrections, though. Those were resuscitations. And so those people who were, were resuscitated, they died again, and they're still dead. 
Revelation 1, 17 and 18 says, Fear not, for I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive evermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. You see, why does Paul assign those, those sovereign titles to Christ? He says, look here, he says he is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. It means that Jesus is the supreme one. He is to have first place. He's to have full control and final authority over everything. He is to have first place in all creation, first place in the church, and he's to have first place in your life and my life. I wish I could tell you that all the time I've ever pastored a church, all the time I've ever led a church, I always understood that. And I always, sometimes, sometimes I get to, you know, uh, running off my own way. Thinking that, you know, this is the way and, and, and this has got to happen this way. And, and, and I had to, I have to learn over and over and over again. You know, I told people, I, I told churches, you know, I, I got a real simple philosophy of leadership. And that is programs are always negotiable. How we do what we do is negotiable. You can do it your way. You can do it my way. You can do it his way or her way. As long as we get it done, it's okay, right? And we're not doing anything immoral to do that. Programs always negotiable. Principle never is. God, help me fight to my last day and my last breath that I would ever give in to what the Word of God says. It's what the Word of God says. That's the principle. And you can't negotiate that. I said a long time ago, listen, I used to say if I were the king of the church, we'd have done a lot of things that we would have done. We'd have done it a lot sooner, a lot quicker. We'd have built that building three or four years ago. If I'd been the king of the church, we'd have just done it. But you see... Jesus is the head of the church. He's the head of the church. we got to do it in his time. I don't have time to really just go into this completely because I'm, I'm running out of time. I told you this was a deep dive. But he's preeminent, folks, because, he, because of his incarnation. You see, the reason he's the head of the church is because in verse 19 it says, For him... In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Listen, the Israelites dwelled in tents. They had a tabernacle. They eventually had a temple. But all of those were temporary. Solomon said in 1 Kings eight twenty seven, he prayed, but God will indeed dwell on the earth. Behold, the heaven and the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this house I have built. This house can't contain Jesus. This is not the, you know, we sometimes refer to this as, as uh, you know, the, as, you know the, ho- the house, of the home of Jesus. And I've heard people say it like that. But, but listen, folks, we, this, this building is not. It's a special building. And it, it, it needs to be honored. And it needs to be kept as best you can keep it. And all those things that, that the community sees that you love this Lord that you serve. And he's special. But you see, the church doesn't get in here until you get in here. Because this is the place where the church meets. You're the body of Christ. 
Listen, he, uh, for him, in him, in, 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 in chronic, uh, rather, Colossians 2, 9 and 10, it says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head, and, and, uh, and all rule and authority. And then lastly, to say this, folks. He's the head of the church because he's the one who bought it. He atoned for it. It says in verses 19 and 20, it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Reconciliation means and it assumes a relationship that has been, ru- that has been ruptured, a relationship that has been broken, a relationship that has been dislocated. You know what that is? That is the human predicament. You see, sin has severed our relationship. It has separated us from God. In 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, it says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, and that that man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Hey, did you notice this text that I just read to you a moment ago? Just go in your Bible, if you don't mind writing in your Bible, and you just circle all every time that this occurs there. A-L-L, all. That little word shows up in every verse in this text. In verse 15, the firstborn of all creation. Verse 16, by him all things were made. Verse 17, and he is uh, it, before all things, and in him all things hold together. Verse 18, that in everything, that's the all things, all thing might be pre, all things might be preeminent. Be, he might be preeminent. In verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In verse 20, it says, through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven. You see, we are the beneficiaries of the reconciling work of God in Christ Jesus. So, is everything on this earth and everything in heaven. All things are reconciled to God. Now, I want you to understand what that does not mean. That does not mean of a universal salvation. That does not mean that unrepentant sinners out there or fallen angels are going to enjoy eternal glory. But it means that everything in heaven and on earth will ultimately be consummated according to God's good pleasure through Christ. How is all that possible? Well, he says that in verse 20, and and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on, on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I want you to look at that verse because that is the only time that phrase occurs in the New Testament. Now, Paul talks a lot about the blood of Christ. And he says much about the cross of Christ. But here, Paul puts both of those together. He puts both of those together. That is, the atonement for our sins is the blood of Christ that was accomplished at the cross. That is the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And 2 Corinthians 5, verses 20 and 21 says, Therefore we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin. Who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For us. 
for you, for all of us. Do you understand what that's saying? Listen, he's the head of the church because he's the one who has atoned for the church. He's the one who bought the church. Jesus, who was the perfect one, who was spotless, who never sinned, who never knew any sin, was tempted, but never knew any sin. Who was a man and God at the same time. Took my sin and your sin. All that stuff we read about in the papers. All that stuff we hear about on the news. All these things, these vile things that go on. I, I just heard about a, uh, the other day, and I've I, I, got to stop, but I just heard the other day about a, a man who was being convicted of pouring boiling water down his baby's throat. Who could ever do something like that? That's, I mean, I can't even imagine that. And yet, Jesus Christ died for that sin. He died for all the sins that we've ever created. All of those things were placed upon him, and he died in our place. But the only way that can be made possible in your life and my life is for us to acknowledge that. Confess Him as Lord and Savior of our lives. Ask Him to come into our life. Take control of our life. And listen, if you haven't done that, that's the first thing you need to do. If you haven't done that, then, and I've told you this before, if I hadn't done that, I'd do it today. If I hadn't done that, I wouldn't get out there on 95A. And I've been on 29 lately. That's worse than any freeway I've ever been on. I wouldn't get on there. Have you ever thought about you going down a road, you're going just as fast, and they're going fast, and all we got to do is make one little move? Listen, that's how quick it can happen. I'm not saying that's just scary. I'm just telling you that's a reality. You need to know Jesus. Trust him today. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, I've, I've tried today, Lord, to just say what you've given to us in these verses we know how these verses, how, how important they are to us to understand who you are and what you've done. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just burn them into our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you, you have just heard a message from God's Word, and now it's your chance to respond. What is God calling you to do in response to today's message? Let us know by going to hbcmolino.com forward slash life. We'd love to connect with you. Thanks for joining us today on the Highland Network. Enjoy your day.